Welcome to the Sermon of the Week. Before you begin listening, let me pray that you would encounter God right where you are. Father, I ask that your Spirit would be present wherever people are listening. May they be aware of your presence and receptive to the voice of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you as you listen to this week's message. Behold the one, the radiance and splendor of every living thing. You are the word, you are the life, you are the face of God. Ending song, the holy is the 
Any closer. It's okay, John. It's okay. Rabbi, 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 you, you can't know this disease. You Please. Please. Please don't turn away from me. I won't. Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Only if you want to, I submit to you. My sister, she was a servant at the wedding. She told me what you could do. I know you can heal me if you are willing. Seek your own honor. Please just do me this one thing. But what do I tell people? Go. Show yourself to the priest. Let them inspect you and see that you are cleansed. Make the proper offering in the temple as Moses commanded. And go on your way. Was an extra tunic. Just one of you, just one of you. That's enough. <sighs> Green is definitely your color. <laughs> Not too shabby. <laughs>
Pretty amazing, isn't it? In case you haven't seen that series, it's called The Chosen. I highly recommend it. Um, it's powerful. And this story is uh, a powerful illustration of what, uh, what the gospel and the power of Jesus is all about. And so I want to take you to Luke chapter 17 this morning. Luke chapter 17. Turn your Bibles with me or open up your phone, your device to Luke chapter 17 and verse 11. I'm going to put it also on the screen and we can read it together. But Luke 17 verse 11 and we're going to read through to verse 19. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. And as he was going into the village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, Go, show yourself to the priests. And as he went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. And he threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to them, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. Now, this passage in Luke is slightly different from the video that we watched, but the passage in Luke is interesting for several reasons, and I want to explain and give you some of those reasons. First of all, we know that Jesus is making his final journey to Jerusalem uh, days before being crucified. He was walking along the border of uh, Galilee and Samaria, and if you have a picture of, of Israel, Galilee is to the north Samaria is right below Galilee, which is what we now call the West Bank. Right below that is Judea, where Jerusalem was. That's where he was going. And then below that is the desert, the Negev, uh, which is, you know, desert land for the most part. Those are the four major sections, right? And so Jesus is walking the border between Galilee to the north and Samaria on his way to Jerusalem. And as he is traveling, these 10 men approached Jesus, and they were all afflicted with leprosy. And the Bible says that standing at a distance, these 10 men cried out. They started screaming. They said, Jesus, have mercy on us. Help us out. Like we saw in the video. Have mercy on me. Have pity on me. Now, in biblical days, being diagnosed with leprosy was pretty much a death sentence. Physically, socially, economically, and also spiritually. In fact, in rabbinic tradition, they actually say that they believe that curing leprosy was as difficult as raising the dead. Imagine that for a moment. Imagine their condition and them knowing that information. A leper was considered physically unclean. It was contagious, 
and also they were considered spiritually unclean. In fact, lepers were shunned from community life and they were banned from inclusion of worship because, in fact, in rabbinic law, they thought that, that leprosy was a symptom of a sin in their lives. Interesting. They could not hold a job. They couldn't live in a home with non-lepers. Even if it was their own family, they were not allowed. They could not shop at a market. They couldn't own property. They could not do much. Their only option was to beg for scraps and live in isolation and wait until they would completely deteriorate. They had to announce themselves according to the law. They wore bells that would basically tell people, here comes a leprous. Because people feared being infected. And according to the law, they were forbidden to be close to healthy people. You can read that in Leviticus 13 or Numbers chapter 5. Now, one more interesting fact about these 10 lepers is that not all of them were Jews. In fact, from the story, we know that one of them, at least one that we know of was Samaritan. Now, there's a powerful truth that's nestled in that very concept that this one man was Samaritan because it was bad enough to be a leprous, but to be a Samaritan who, was, who had leprosy, that's even worse. As a result, national barriers and probably other prejudice uh, these 10 men somehow find a way to come together. All of those barriers, all of those conditions that they set for themselves. I'm, you know, from, I'm Jerusalem. I'm, I'm, a, I'm, I'm a Judean. No, I'm, I'm Samaritan. I'm this, I'm that. All of those separations disappeared as these men came together in unity to beg God for help. Now, a common misfortune in this particular case had broken down the racial, the racial and national barriers. In common tragedy, these 10 men, leprous men, they had forgotten who was a Jew and who was a Samaritan. And they found a way to come together because they were all men in need of Jesus. Friends, I want to reiterate that concept for us today because regardless of our social status, regardless of our pedigree, nationality, none of us deserve anything from God. None of us. The 10 men did not deserve anything from God. It was not because of their standing, because they were Jew or Samaritan. They came together because they realized that they needed Jesus. And so these men found a way to approach God. And you know what? All of us are the same, regardless of your skin color, your nationality, you, who, your pedigree, what you know, how much you know, where you come from, your family background. You know what? We're all sinners saved by grace. And we all still, still need the same Jesus. The divisions that we erect 
because of nationality, skin color, socioeconomic status. They're all attempts for each and every one of us. We try to distinguish ourselves from others thinking that, well, because I can do this, I am better than the ones that can't. But that's not the truth. We're all the same before God, regardless of our differences, regardless of where we come from. We're brothers and sisters, and that truth should unite us all, just as it united these 10 men that were crying out to God. Now, when Jesus saw them, he basically told them to do what the law required. But it does it in a very interesting manner. In Leviticus chapter 14, it explains how those who had who were afflicted with leprosy would actually be cleansed, what the process was, right? They had to go to the priest after. It clearly says that in verse 13 of chapter 14 of Leviticus, in verse 3, sorry, of chapter 14, that after they were cleansed, they would go to the priest and perform a number of rituals in order to be ceremonially clean and then reinserted in society. Now, what did Jesus do? He saw all these 10 men. They were still sick with leprosy. And Jesus asked them to do what the law required. But that actually takes faith, doesn't it? That takes an incredible amount of faith. These men were plagued with this disease. And Jesus tells them, go and show yourself to the priest. Does that even make sense? Humanly and even according to the law, it did not. But they believed that Jesus could do anything. So they made a turnaround and they started going to the priest, all 10 of them. On the way, something happened, right? You see, friends, obedience is and always will be the condition that God will honor for us to receive anything from him. It requires obedience. We are to be obedient sons and daughters. If the word of God says something for us to do, if Jesus proclaimed something, then we do it because he said it. Jesus commanded them to go. And they simply trusted and obeyed him. And as they went, their faith was activated. And the proof, friends, the proof of faith will always be obedience. I'm going to say it again. The proof of faith is always going to be obedience. It is not knowledge of truth. It is not just knowledge of facts. It is doing what God says, not just believing that he said it. Are you with me? God honors and rewards our faith when we act in obedience to his word. Obedience will always be the proof of faith. Now, in verse 14, we've read it before, that as they went, as they went, they were cleansed. As they went, they were cleansed. As they made that statement to themselves, we're going to obey the words of 
the master, he had a reputation for having done works and miracles to others. And so they thought, well, what choice do we have? We are leprous. So we might as well try this out. And for many of us, God sometimes speaks into our lives and we resist and resist. But I want to tell you something today, friends. What will it cost you to try something that you've never tried before? If it is God speaking, if it is His Word declaring it, what does it cost you but to try it? Well, I don't know if it's going to work. Try it. I don't know if, if that's going to produce the result. Try it. Give God a chance. Give God a chance. For these men, their going was rewarded by their cleansing. And in verse 15, we see something out of the ordinary. Let's look at that together. Verse 15, the first part says, One of them, when he saw, he was healed came back. One of them. Now, one man out of ten came back to say thank you. You see, thanksgiving should always bring us back to where the miracle first took place. The man walking toward the priests to do what Jesus had asked of him to do Realize, oh, I don't have any more of these spots on my body. I've, I've been cleansed. I don't feel pain anymore. I have been cleansed. And so the miracle took place because of obedient faith. And obedience and faith will always be catalysts if we desire to see God move in our lives, guys. Always, if you want to see God move in your life, obedience and faith, trust, trust that He can do it. Trust that He will do it because He is a faithful God. He's a faithful God. Regardless of the need, whether it be physical spiritual, emotional. It doesn't matter to God. God will meet you right where you're at. He will meet you at the point of your need, of my need. But we must have faith and we must trust in His ability to do what He said that He would do. That is obedience. When you obey is because you trust in the word that was given, the proclamation that was given to you by somebody to do something that you know can be accomplished because that person has authority to make it happen. Are you with me? If you tell your son who's 10 years old and he wants to go uh, with some friends who buy some popsicles on a hot summer day down at the corner store, you tell them, go into the room, grab my wallet, there's $10 in there, bring it to me, bring the wallet, the entire thing, I want to I see you don't take anything else, no credit card, and, um, and, and your son, your daughter, is going to do what you asked them to do because they know that you have the authority to give them what you asked them to do. 
That's the same way when it comes to faith, trust, and obedience. Because we know that God could do anything. We trust his word. Now here's the part that we must remember for all of us. Revelations chapter 12 and verse 11 says that they triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. Who is him? Who's him? It's the devil. They triumphed over the devil. They triumphed over Satan. By the blood of the lamb, we triumphed. We try, we win, not over Jesus. We win over the devil by the blood of the Lamb, Jesus, and the word of our testimony. Now, when we choose to praise God, when we choose to share the testimony, there is power in our testimony. There is power in what God has accomplished in your life and my life. Let me explain that further. Not only does our testimony encourage those who are believers that, that have already accepted Christ. If you're going through a situation in your life and I stand up and I say the same thing that you're going through and I declare that God is powerful and able to deliver you or set you free or heal you or whatever it is that you're going through that I went through, you know what, that's bound to encourage you that is going to strengthen your heart to feel and know that you're not alone that you have God on your side and there's also others brothers and sisters and other people that have gone through the same thing that you've gone through and that encourages us it has encouraged me to know people that have gone through situations that I have gone through that I'm not alone you're not alone that is why when we pray and we believe things, for, you know, together as a body and we ask you to come and tell us, the purpose of that is so that you can encourage others that are going through the same, that may be walking through similar circumstances. But also that testimony is a powerful attestation and declaration of what God can do and will do for anybody, including those who have not yet met Jesus. Because God is not a respecter of person. He does it all for anyone. Friends, the enemy cannot take away <coughs> excuse me, what God has done for you. What God has done in your life, the enemy cannot steal it. That's one thing that he cannot do. And that is why we triumph over the enemy, by the power of our testimony. When every time you declare what God has done for you, that Jesus' blood has set you free, that he has cleansed you and you're a new creation, that same testimony is a powerful truth to the ears of those who have not yet received Jesus. Because they need to know. If you're here this morning, have you not taken that step in your life? If you've never really taken, you know, you be coming to church and, and that's fantastic. 
you're, you're attending and that's great. But if you've never taken the step to say, Jesus, I confess your name as my Savior and my Lord. I receive you in my heart and I want you to be the Lord of my life. If you have never taken that step, do it today. Before the service is over, take a moment and confess Jesus because that will give you the power of testimony. And when people come to you and say, you're such a fanatic, you're such a weirdo. What is the stuff that you believe in about this Jesus stuff in church on Sunday morning? What are you talking about? You can share what God has done for you. You can let them know that there is a Jesus that is so powerful. I shared this morning in the prayer one of the conversations that we had with family as we gathered um, 30 of us in Florida from every corner of the country and almost the world, literally, um, as a family for Thanksgiving. I was really stirred and challenged by the concept of the new birth. And we were talking about the truth of the new birth. Because if we don't understand the power of the new birth, we'll never truly, fully have a testimony to share. When the new birth takes place in our lives, when we are accepting Jesus, when we say, Jesus, I accept you as my Savior and as the Lord of my life, we are saying, God, whatever it is, you're now at the steering wheel of my life. That spells out transformation. God wants to take our life and transform us completely. That means that the things that we used to do, we don't do anymore. The things that, the things that we used to love before, we don't love anymore. The power of God transforms us. And that is why it's so important that the new birth, that we accept and understand and realize that we must be born again. Jesus told who? you must be born again. A religious leader, a Pharisee who knew every scripture of the time. He knew the Bible very well, in and out. And how many of us know the Bible in and out? But without the new birth, that transformation, it's just not gonna have the same meaning. Building a testimony that defeats the enemy is like wielding your weapon before the enemy and telling him, back off. Back off. The enemy cannot take what God has done for you. And so at times, we kind of like try to wonder and we question, God, was it you? Like, was that, you know, we're praying for someone that may not be feeling well and, and all of a sudden they start feeling better. And, and, and so we start wondering, okay, was it God? Was it Tylenol? Was it the Tylenol I took this morning? Was it, was it the therapy that I went through? I mean, was it a counseling session? What, 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 was it? what was it? Don't question. Receive. Receive from what God has done in your life. We try to reason ourselves out of our miracle when we should just say, thank you, God. Thank you, Father, for what you've done. This man saw what God had done, and he thought, 
forget the priest. I'm going back to say thank you. He realized at that moment what was happening. And so in verse 15, the second part of it says, he came back praising God with a loud voice. That is praise, and praise is the key. Praise is the key. Praising God is a natural response of a heart that's filled with gratitude because of what God has done. Praising is a fundamental element to the Christian walk. For our faith to connect to God, we praise Him so that we know that we are making the connection with the Father. We're saying, thank you, Father, for what you're doing, for what you've done. Thank you. It's an expression that acknowledges the greatness and the goodness of God for all that He has done. And it aligns our hearts with the heart and the mind of Christ. That is how we obtain the mind of Christ. We praise Him. We align ourselves to Him. When we praise, we are declaring our dependence on God. We are saying that we are going to follow Jesus all the way. We praise Him for the blessings. We become just a testimony of what God has done as we praise Him. We're just testifying of the goodness, of the miracle power of God. Jesus becomes the center of our lives, and He becomes our devotion. Praise is also, we said it, it's an act of resisting the devil. And I want to show it to you in a scripture in Psalm chapter 8, verse 2, it says, Out of the mouths of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. Friends, when we choose to praise God, we are standing against the lies and the deceptions of the devil himself. We are declaring that God is wiser, that God is more powerful than any other power of darkness, that is more powerful than any circumstance that we're facing or that we may have faced, that is more powerful than anything that is our God. We praise Him. We praise Him. And so it's interesting that it says that it's out, out of the mouths of babies and infants. You know, one of the things that we got to always keep in mind is that if we are wishing and, and wanting to see God move in our midst, it's going to start with our children. Our children are going to have a role in what God is going to do if it is going to be generational. Are you with me? The revival at Asbury touched who? Young adults, college students. God is moving and doing something spectacular in the lives of children. I was reading recently of a, of a church in town where they had a, 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 a children's retreat. And how God moved, baptizing little kids in the Holy Spirit. They can't reason things out. They just accept 
And if we are to see God move generation past you and I, we are going to need to teach and impart in our children the importance of praise, the importance of God. Teach your children to praise God, friends. Show them the power of praise, not by reading scriptures or by reading a book together. Show them by your life. Show them by your example. That's one of the reasons why we keep our children here. During while we were singing and we're praising and worshiping. And I know for some, it may be a lot because there's, a, there's a, a bit of noise going on in the back. But it's okay. Tell your kids, sit with mom and dad. They may scream and just give them a book to color, but keep them in the presence of God. Keep them there. They may not realize it today, and you may not see it immediately, but something is being sown in their lives that is powerful. I think I mentioned this in the past, but, you know, we, we've had our kids, when we were pastoring in other parts, I mean, they would just sleep on chairs, under the chairs, under the pews, you know. When, if God moves, you don't want to leave, guys. I'm telling you right now. When God's Spirit begins to move, don't look at the clock, when God's timing, the message that we heard last week, when God's timing is our time, don't look at the clock. Just go with the flow. And so we've been at church till 11 o'clock at night, midnight. My son remembers that. He'll tell you, sleep on the chair. You'll be fine tomorrow morning. They grew up just fine, for the record. We've got to change our mindset. We need to show our kids what praise is all about, not just tell them. You know, when the man came back to praise Jesus, it says that he praised Jesus with a loud voice. And those two words in the Greek are very interesting words. And I'm not a Greek scholar, but I will tell you that you will become a Greek scholar right now because I know exactly that, I know that you will know what these two words in the Greek are. The Greek, the Greek word for loud is the Greek megales. And the Greek word for voice is phonus. Megaphone. He went screaming at God. He went yelling. He said, oh my God, look at what has happened to me. Jesus, thank you. Thank you. Oh my gosh. I mean, like, you want me to praise God like that, like a megaphone in church? Yeah, better believe it. No shame. No worry about fear of man and what other people might think. He could care less. He had received this miracle. That is why for all of us it's so important to realize the new birth is so key. Because you look at your life and you say, I have received the greatest miracle of all. That is 
I'm a son of God. I'm a daughter of God. I'm not condemned anymore. I'm accepted, loved, and received by God. You know, nothing was going to stand in this man's way. And the devil will try to derail you, taunt you with lies and with deception. But let me tell you that our praise will set the record straight because he can't compete with what God has done. Never, never. But in verse 16, he did one more thing that I love. It says that he threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And then, look at it, dash, dash, and he was a Samaritan. He threw himself at Jesus' feet. He came back to worship God, to worship Jesus. Worship is adoration. It is expressing reverence for God. Worship also is, in a, in a general sense, is an overall lifestyle of serving and glorifying God and reflecting God to others with our lives. This man threw himself at Jesus' feet and worship in so many ways literally means to prostrate ourselves before God, to acknowledge his, our desperation for him, for God. Worship recognizes God's greatness, his majesty and splendor. So let me ask you this question. When was the last time that you bowed before God in desperation? If you take an inventory lately of all the things that God has done for you, his goodness and his grace, and all the benefits that God grants us. If we were to list all of them, I'm sure that all of us would have to have gratitude for what God has done, his provision, his goodness, his grace, health, abilities that he gives us, our companionship, our friendship to Jesus, all of those, his presence, Every single last one of these things is so key and important because God is who he says he is. Worship is key. And worship is key in this church. We love to worship God because it is God's divine strategy for us to attain his presence. When we worship him, we are declaring that he is great. No strategy, no human plans, no personality. We desire presence over performance. No one can fill that place but God himself and God alone. We can learn from the gratitude of this man who came back and worshiped out of desperation. He turned his desperation into a miracle. He turned his need into a miracle because he understood what he was doing when he went back, went back to Jesus to worship Jesus. But also one more thing I see in this passage, that this man from being an outsider, a Samaritan, he became an insider, a son of God. To be a leper was bad enough, as I said before, but to be a Samaritan made that even more 
made him more of an outcast. Listen to what Jesus says in verses 17 to 19. Jesus asked, were not all 10 cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Even Jesus knew that he was. Then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. Now, this man was healed. And he had a choice, like the other nine. He had a choice to go to the temple and go through the cleansing rituals to be proclaimed ceremonially clean. But he chose a better way. He turned around. He was a Samaritan, a foreigner, an outsider. But that day, that foreigner, that outsider became an insider. You know what that makes me think? It makes me think of how many times we, as the professional believers that have maybe grown up in church. Let me ask you a question. How many of you have grown up in church? Okay, come on, put your hand up, way up. All right, for everyone else, look around. Look how many. By the way, there's nothing wrong with that. That's wonderful. Okay, I want to make sure that all of you understand because God's power to keep us is a lot in this world. But let me submit this to you, that we as the professional believers who may have grown up in church sometimes act like the nine who do the religious thing and don't go back to Jesus. Well, I got to go to church. I got to go to church. I mean, Jesus told me, go to church, present yourself to the priest and, and, and do the things that, you know, Moses told us in Leviticus chapter 14. You know, I, I got to do that stuff. I got to go to church. What they did was not wrong, by the way. They were following the law. They were doing the basics. At times, we act like the older brother. We act the same way, don't we? You know, the older brother in the parable, the prodigal son, he had everything at his disposal. He complained that his brother was getting the fattened cow and a beautiful robe and, robe and the ring on his finger. Oh, my gosh, look at him. He's lived like, you know, his lifestyle of an unbeliever. Look at them. They just come into the church, and all of a sudden, they just, like, start acting as if they know him more than I do. What does he know? He's a Samaritan for the love of God. He doesn't even know the Scriptures. They worship on Mount Gerizim. That's the wrong mountain. You know, we worship on the mountain where the tablets were given. And we know the law. Jesus did not ask that question because he was confused. What's the question? 
We're not all ten cleansed. Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? That was the question. The man who came returned. He went beyond the ritual. He went beyond the traditional thing. He displayed radical gratitude for Jesus who has set him free from a plague where he was destined to die with. That is our response. Jesus tells him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. But wait a second. Your faith has made you well. Wasn't he already healed? Didn't he come back because he was healed? What is Jesus talking about here when he said your faith has made you well? Well, look at the progression. In verse 14, he says that they were all cleansed. In verse 15, it says that he was healed physically. Now, in verse 19, he says, has made you well. And in the original text, that word made you well derives from the word sozo, which means what? I think we, we've, if you're a good student, you've been here long enough, you know that it means body. Come on. Soul and spirit. Body, soul, and spirit. He was completely made well. In other words, he was made whole. Wholeness. Wholeness. We must not be satisfied, friends, with just the church, the Sunday morning church experience. It is powerful. It is important. I agree with what David shared, is that what we can experience here together, it is impossible to experience at home alone. Because our minds go into a thousand different directions. There's power in unity. Even these 10 lepers experienced a collective healing when they came together. So there's power in unity. But we must do more than just the thing that we do on Sunday morning. Or maybe get up on Monday morning and open the Bible app and read the verse of the day and just call it a great experience with Jesus. I'm not judging you for doing that. I'm just telling you that God and His mercy and His grace of our lives requires that we do more. To whom much is given, much is required. We have been given life, eternal life. If we were to die today, our destiny is heaven with Jesus. I'm not sure about those who don't have that hope. I don't want to give Jesus just a religious expression. I want to live in radical appreciation and gratitude for all that he has done for me. Don't you? Don't you? This man who came back is a powerful example that we can always find a reason to be thankful. Matthew Henry, the famous Bible commentator, he was once robbed of his wallet. And that night he went home and he wrote these words in his diary. He said, I'm thankful for, 
thankful? He had been robbed. Hear me out. He wrote, I am thankful for, first, that I've never been robbed before. Second, that though they took my wallet, they did not take my life. Third, because even though they took it all, it wasn't very much. Fourth, finally, he said, because I was the one who was robbed and not the one who did the robbing. Talk about perspective. Talk about understanding life's circumstances. So my question for you today, are you one of the nine? Or are you the one who will come back to say thank you? Despite your circumstances, despite what life may have dished out to you, are you thankful? You know, gratitude is not just for a day on November, Thursday. Or the next day because we get, you know, Thanksgiving deals, right? It goes way beyond that. And God is calling us to live a life of radical gratitude and thankfulness for all that he has given us and what he has done for us. When we do that, we are sowing seeds into our lives for God to continue to perform the great and mighty works that he wants to do in our lives. We're sowing seeds. So I know that life and circumstances and situations can be really hard. But can we take a moment this morning to acknowledge the goodness and greatness of God and to say thank you. Thank you for listening to our Sermon of the Week. If you live in the Charlotte area, we encourage you to worship with us on Sundays at 10 a.m. We encourage you also to give to this ministry so we can continue spreading the gospel to our city and throughout the world. You can go to our website at missioncommunity.cc, click on the Give button, and the rest is simple. Have a great rest of your week. God bless.